Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hello, and how's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. We are part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if you like ag podcasts and blogs and vlogs, head over to farmruralag.com and check that out. Hey, this is another installment of a series we've been working on for you lately called Stories from the Soil. This is a partnership with Cool Planet, who makes Cool Terra, a biochar-based product, and really had a great time filming these episodes because they are videos as well as podcasts. Uh, we filmed them and launched them in September, and this episode just came out. Uh, this is with Neve Strauss. Uh, Neve Strauss is the director of street tree planting for New York City Parks. Really an interesting take on soil, on soil health, and really, I think the story that stuck with me most uh, from my visit to New York City in meeting with Neve was the connection between soil health and public health. And, and I don't spend much time thinking about public health, but it's uh, an interesting topic. The At the essence of it, it's the fact that agriculture, while we talk about it being for food to provide people with food and fiber. We don't often think about it in terms of public health, meaning uh, that trees filter the air as an example, or that trees uh, can help with sort of the greenhouse gas effect, and not just in, in uh, sequestering carbon, which they do that as well, but in these urban settings where you do get kind of a, a heated area, they, they can really help. Neve even mentions the connection between soil health, in turn, kind of tree health and mental health. Just a super interesting take on agriculture, totally different than anything we've covered on this podcast. And I'm really, really pleased to bring it to you. So to start off here, Neve is going to tell us how he describes his job as an arborist. The way I usually put it to the public is an arborist is a tree doctor. But really, an arborist is um, a person who um, makes sure that a tree from the time that it is uh, planted all the way through its whole life, and hopefully the tree outlives you, um, lives and thrives. And um, the arborist also takes measures to make sure that that happens. So uh, we are trained um, in the science of uh, disease pathologies. Um, entomology to an extent, because we have to understand pests as well. Um, and we work to try to you know, manage those pests if they are present, and same with diseases. And, uh, and then we make sure that um, you know, if we weren't the ones that install the tree, that if there were any uh, planting practices that may have gone awry, uh, that we fix them. Yes. And um, yeah, we're basically, we're, we're here to speak for the trees. And you may think, as I did, that New York City seems like an odd place for an arborist. Uh, you think of Central Park, but you don't really think about New York City having much more to do with nature and trees and horticulture and agriculture. And so I asked Neve about this, and he was not surprised to hear the question. 
So every time I've ever been asked, what do you do? I say, you know, I, I work for New York City Parks. When I was a forester, I would tell them I'm a forester. And it's like, oh, so you plant trees in Central Park, right? Well, obviously, Central Park, though it is significant, is not the only uh, you know, place where trees are planted throughout the city. In fact, we have over 666,000 street trees throughout all of the five boroughs of New York. Um, <clears throat> and so what my role is, is basically to make sure that trees are being planted in the right place, the right species are chosen, and that we're um, planting based on a few different criteria, which I'm sure that we'll get into over the, uh, over the course of our conversation. But basically, um, we're working to restore uh, and, and introduce, really, more canopy into various neighborhoods throughout the city. And in general, I can't think of a lot of people who would be against introducing more nature and more canopy. But it does start to get a little bit complicated when you think about it in the context of government only has so many resources. And, and how many resources should a city like New York City be putting into parks? I, I figured Neve had to get some sort of criticism or at least pushback or questioning on this topic and was curious about his perspective on the value of the amount of resources that go into NYC parks. In a, in a big city, people uh, believe that, uh, you know, there are other priorities. And, you know, I think that we would all tend to agree that everybody needs what everybody needs, all those public resources. However, um, trees are part of public health, right? That's the whole part of Cool Neighborhoods, and that was one of the missions of um, of Million Trees NYC. And so we try to approach it from a public health aspect, you know, and try to give that perspective. We try to also remind people that it's on public property, and this one tree might not really fit your ideal, but really this one tree is part of a larger forest. And even more so than just the New York City forest is actually a part of a continuation of our northeastern forests, right? the ones that border us on Long Island, the ones that border us on New Jersey, and the ones that border us on, upper New, on in, you know, upstate New York and in Connecticut. And so this is just like part of the thread in the big web. And we, so we try to give them that big picture perspective. And then when, um, you know, when push comes to shove and somebody really doesn't want a tree, and there are people that don't want a tree, we always fall back on our planting standards, which is what you and I were just talking about, um, where, you know, um, where we've actually cited the right tree for the right place. Right. And that's, and, and really in the big picture, um, our tree planting budget is a drop in the bucket. Um, and it's just such an incredible investment because ideally, so long as we've done our work correctly um, and there aren't any other uh, out, outlying factors, which there usually are in the city, yeah. this tree will outlive all of us. And, it, and its benefits are not just for me and you, and they're not even just for our kids, they might be for our kids' kids. And that's an amazing thing. Um, and that actually is what brings me to work every single day, knowing that my daughter uh, and her daughter and her friends uh, will all get to benefit from the work that uh, me and my staff do. I was really curious about this idea of public health and parks contributing to public health and don't spend a lot of time thinking about the connection between uh, agriculture and soil health and horticulture and public health, you know, aside from, yeah, we feed people and we clothe people and we give people shelter. I don't really think about this whole idea of, of public health uh, as it relates to agriculture. And it was really just kind of a, a mind blowing uh, revelation for me. You know, I always hear about healthy soils equals healthy people. And yeah, I thought that was that was in reference to, you know, healthy food. Uh, but there's much more to it than that. And I asked Neve to expand a little bit. <clears throat> public health is basically what's been driving uh, 
has been really the backbone of our program for the last 10 years since Million Trees. Um, we had, during Million Trees, we had the Trees for Public Health Initiative, which was addressing congestion and air pollution, uh, which was contributing to asthma and other respiratory illnesses in certain parts of the city, and now dealing with, uh, <coughs> with trees as a way of mitigating urban heat island effect, or what many people know it as green, the greenhouse effect, right, where, um, where heat is trapped in urban areas due to the pollution levels. So basically, you know, we know that trees essentially act as a, um, an air filter, right? They filter the air of, of, uh, of pollutants. Um, and uh, they mitigate stormwater, um, and which also is a really big issue in, in New York City and for our sewers. Um, and, uh, and, you know, trees just, I think that they generally tend to, Studies have shown that trees also have an effect on mental health. They're calming, right? When you're around a lot of trees, um, they're, they're, they have a comforting presence, right? Um, so all of those things combined um, have really driven the program to where it is today. And the program where it is today is, is quite impressive. You heard that they mention it. Yes, they actually did plant a million trees. It's pretty amazing what they've done there in New York City. You could probably hear in the background everything from kids playing to the sounds of the city, a helicopter overhead, a distant siren, uh, even kind of some, some insects in the park that we were standing in. It's, it's really, really cool. And I, I asked Nevaeh a little bit more about kind of how the process works. Obviously, they've got a big job and a big city, uh, but how does it work where you want to expand the trees and the parks in a place like New York. Here's what he had to say. We arrive to a site and we say, you know, a tree is needed here. And there could be a number of different things that bring us to that site. Number one, uh, the, the oldest model, the reason that the tree planting program even exists here in New York City, is because people want trees, right? So they call 311, which is the basic government hotline for all government services, and they say, hey, I want a street tree. And that street tree doesn't have to be in front of their property. It, since it's a city, um, since, it is, since the tree itself is city property and so are most sidewalks, um, they can say, I want it in front of 123 Main Street. I want it in front of uh, Times Square, whatever. You can do that as a citizen of New York. So that brings a forester out to the site. And the forester is looking at light conditions, um, foot traffic, um, general land use, is it sort of like, you know, really congested? Is it sort of just residential? Is it like, you know, the east, the most eastern part of this borough, Queens, is extremely residential, where um, where tree beds are like basically contiguous lawns, right? So very different from where we're standing now, right? Which is heavily urban, almost industrial. Um, and so then they decide, okay, uh, X, Y, Z species could be appropriate here. Um, they decide whether that should be a smaller, large tree based on um, conditions above, such as uh, utility lines, and they designate a tree. Um, we also are looking, obviously, for like utility conflicts and a few other things. Um, but what actually gets that tree here is part of the story that I wanted to tell you. And uh, when Million Trees started in 2007, 2008, we also started what was called um, tree procurement. And we were one of the first cities to really do this. And tree procurement are, are specific nursery tree growing contracts. So we have nurseries that grow trees for us to a specific specification, right, branching height and quantities of, of different types of trees. Um, anywhere from the cultivar level, which is like when you see like, um, like knockout rose, for example, is a cultivar of roses, right? So for, for our trees, our cultivars at this point, I think we have somewhere 
in excess of 300 unique cultivars, which means that the genetic makeup is ever so slightly different, but not too different. And then you have varieties, and then you have species. And with species, I think we have over like 110 unique species, which is pretty amazing. That, and they fall into various genera, and they fall into various families, and all of that goodness. And so basically, what that has enabled our foresters to do is that when they come to the site and they say, based on these site conditions, here are the three types of trees that would probably be best for this, and thinking also about designs, right, um, they will actually be able to, number one, pick that tree and in all likelihood get that tree, which is really cool. Neve went on to tell me about the old way uh, of how they used to plant trees as they would bring in soil, topsoil, from somewhere else outside of the city and use that topsoil as the, the soil that would go with the new tree or the new park or the new landscape they were installing. And they've shifted their perspective uh, to now trying to preserve and rebuild, in a way, the native soil, the soil that was there uh, when they started either planting the tree or building the park. And I was curious as to why. So we can hypothesize that, uh, it's, or it's easy to assume that soils in New York are not healthy, right? Because we're in this big urban environment. But nature sort of suggests otherwise, right? We have lots of healthy tracts of natural forests throughout our parklands. And we have lots of trees that, that seem to be growing and thriving in the soil that's within our landscaped areas of parks. And we have trees that are growing really well uh, on, along, our, uh, along our public rights of way, along our streets. Um, so basically, sort of what we've come to, the old practice was always plant a tree and replace all the soil. And the way that we're trying to go in an effort to also reduce cost, but potentially dispose of less good quality or usable material, given how resilient trees are, is to look at soil, especially the soil that happens to be on site, which for our intensive purposes, I'm gonna call native soils, right? On-site soils are native soils, um, and we're gonna to try to reuse them. And to that end, that's what we're really trying to learn about, is how do soils vary from you know, the top of the Bronx, which is um, you know, uh, uh, replete with tons of um, uh, granite and you know, higher clay content, all the way down to the south shore of Long Island, which is really sandy, right? And then all the way down to Staten Island, which actually happens to mimic more of like a, closer to what like the south would be with a heavier clay loam. So uh, we really believe that there's a lot of potential to be using um, not only the right species, which is something we've always done, but the right soils in the right place too. Okay. So I told Neve that I thought it was pretty cool that rather than just bringing in new soil every single time, uh, they were focusing more on taking the soil they had and getting it healthier. Uh, he kind of stopped me right there and, and clarified a couple things. Getting soil healthier, that's like a, um, a loaded term in horticulture. Uh, you know, we, we believe, right, that um, most soil science says that what you want is um, a microbiome, right? A lot of living organisms, namely bacteria and fungi, that are going to be symbiotic along with tree roots. Um, we don't know how that microbiome develops, dies off, or whether or not maybe it just stays put from the time of initial planting to the establishment of the tree to, you know, the, hopefully the thriving of the tree in the future 20 years down the line. Um, so right now it's honestly a best guess. Um, and we're just basing our um, methods on trying to encourage that microbiome to at the very least stay neutral, yeah. right? If not grow over time. Um, and so that's just being, you know, researching various materials to use. 
this definitely highlighted something we'd heard throughout Stories from the Soil, which is there's a lot we don't know. Uh, we want to make soils healthier. Uh, there is plenty of evidence that if you can build soil organic matter, it can have a positive impact on several factors. Um, but we are still kind of figuring out what the cause and effect relationships are in a soil microbiome. Uh, he did mention, though, at the very end of his response that they're looking at different um, materials that they can use to try to build the soil microbiome. I was curious which materials they're using. The, the typical landscape practice for many years is just like, okay, add compost. Right. And we do believe in that. We know that compost has benefits. Of course, you have to be looking at the quality of the compost itself. Right. You don't want to just use anything. Um, luckily, uh, New York City Department of Sanitation also collects food scraps and leaf litter from like almost every home and building in uh, the five boroughs. And then it brings it down to this huge recycling facility down in Staten Island. And it turns it and they process it. And they sell it back to the public and to landscape contractors, for example, for like $10 a yard. It's like mm. super cheap. Yeah. And that's a great way of bringing back um, organic matter that was, that's being disposed of already and bringing it back to the soil of New York. Right. So, but the thing is that compost only does so much. Compost is very quickly bioavailable to tree roots and it burns off very quickly. Mm -hmm. So we think short term and long term. The long term solution is it, that, we th that we're thinking is biochar. Biochar, um, <clears throat> we know what it's made of. You've talked about it all over your series, right? And um, ideally, we're looking for a very pH-stable product um, th that hopefully we can source from somewhere within this region, maybe New York. Actually, I think part of the Parks Department is actually experimenting with creating some of our own biochar, which is amazing. Obviously, biochar is something we've been talking a lot about. Uh, cool Planet, who I'm partnered with this series on, is a biochar-based material. It's a engineered biocarbon. And so I thought it was pretty cool uh, that they're looking at materials like that at New York City parks. One thing I wanted to ask Nave about, and really as a result of doing this podcast, I've become much more fascinated by how people collect and analyze and manage the data involved in their jobs. And so just kind of on a whim, I asked Nave about the data aspect of his work, and it sounds like they've actually got some pretty cool stuff going on with data collection at New York City Parks. Check it out. It actually is born out of like one of our um, more formal contract processes, right? We have like trees planted, and then we have um, sort of annual inspections to ensure that that tree is living. So what I'm trying to do is actually refine that more. Because over the years, it's been like, okay, tree was planted on this date. A year later, is it still there? Yes. A year after that, is it still there? Yes. And is it alive? Yes or no? If no, then replace it. Actually, tomorrow, my staff and I are going to go meet with um, one of our colleagues from the US Forest Service and talk about a very easy, digestible um, way of evaluating basic tree health. Really basic. It's just a visual inspection of a tree. Because I want to dive into the nuance of how a tree is actually doing. Mm. And that's what drives us, right? So. To say a tree was alive when we planted it and it was alive uh, when we left it, you know, when the guarantee period is over, is great. But it's not enough. And it might not tell us an, a lot about, like, does a Zelkova do really well or does a Styrax do really well? We know a Zelkova tends to do really well because it's been a really common street tree for 30 years. But Styrax hasn't necessarily done that, right? We've only planted a few hundred of them in the last, like, 10 years. How are they doing? And now we can start to see a little bit more about, okay, so here's the land use. 
Was the tree planted according to our standards? Yes. Um, if we can standardize a bunch of stuff and then start to measure the, uh, the, the more profound details that we haven't really yet against, like what, what did we know we already did right based on what we know is right? Right. How do we, you know, then we can possibly measure all the details. It's and that's the binary. thing, right, yeah. I wanna know, right, it shouldn't just be binary, it should be so much more than that. I wanna know, like, by the end of a two year period, does, does you know, Japanese Snowbell, Styrax, tend to have like an 80% full canopy, or is it 100%, or does it just not succeed, mm. despite being watered as many times as possible, because I'm tracking that too. Yeah. So I think that all of these avenues and the, and the collection of data in a, in a thorough way, which we've been working on and, and, and measuring it and talking about it and, and sharing it with our superiors, but also with other agencies and hopefully um, with our colleagues in other cities, will enable everybody to get a better perspective um, given the magnitude that we have and this wealth of data that we have. I think that we have a great opportunity to look at every single detail and say more about it. Okay, I gotta pause right here and just tell you how impressed I was with Neve Strauss. I mean, this was such an interesting visit and I was just eating this stuff up. Everything from the public health to the soil health to the data. I just thought that was so fascinating. It was clear how much he knew about this stuff. And, and what didn't make the final cut here in the podcast is I was pop quizzing him on trees and they have, as you heard, over 100 different species. And so, I mean, he would tell me that the genus, the genus and the species and the common name and uh, information about each tree. It was just so fascinating to me. I was so impressed. I had to ask him, though, as someone so knowledgeable about trees, what is it about urban forestry or working in New York City that, that lures him uh, into doing what he does rather than going to more of a traditional sort of forestry role? I just find myself um, attracted to the city. You know, the people here um, are ever interesting. There's so many people with different opinions. Everybody's an expert. Um, I like being able to speak to people on, on a ground level, even as the expert, right? Just talking to them as human beings. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the tree element of it obviously continues to draw me, but honestly, I think it's the people, the culture, and, and really, you know, uh, I think it's easy to paint a big city like this with a broad brush and say, oh, well, a city is just an entirely urban area. Well, it's like I told you before, you know, parts of Staten Island, parts of Eastern Queens, parts of Brooklyn, they're not your typical urban context. They could be single family homes with big trees in front of them. So they're almost like working in suburbia. Right. And then you have big pastoral parks, like in the middle of the city, or you have total woodlands in the middle of the city, and you sometimes can forget that you're in the middle of all the hubbub. And that's what keeps me here. Huge thank you to Neve Strauss of New York City Parks for allowing us to visit him on a beautiful day in New York City, overlooking kind of downtown Manhattan. It was just a fantastic experience. Also, special thank you to Cool Planet, who's partnering with me on the Stories from the Soil series. You definitely want to go to storiesfromthesoil.com and check out the video from this interview. It is just fantastic. I, I can't say enough how excited I was to do this and, and how proud I am about how this content turned out. And I will tell you for a long, long time, I will be thinking about public health and about agriculture's role in public health because it's just not something I hear about so often.
you've probably heard a million times about we've got to feed you know 10 billion people and whatever time in the future and it's all about feeding people and obviously that's the fundamental role of agriculture but we solve a lot of other problems and i think um, there are more stories to be told on this public health sort of angle um, that I'm interested in. If you've got good ideas for stories, hit me up at Tim Hamrich on Twitter or Tim at AgGrad.com. I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes, but we have launched the AgGrad 30 Under 30, where we are highlighting 30 young professionals in agriculture doing interesting work and making an impact on this industry uh, from all sorts of areas, including production agriculture, agribusiness, technology and innovation, entrepreneurship, uh, and education and advocacy. So we would love to have you nominate somebody for that. Even if you're not under 30, but you know somebody who is, head to 30under30.ag and nominate somebody. Hey, we'll be back next week. I really appreciate you listening to the show. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.